Welcome to the Mavericks and Misfits podcast, where not quite fitting into the religious status quo is a good thing. Slick church trends deceive us. Denominational traditions can blind us. But truth from the heart of God always transforms us. And now, here's our host, a self-proclaimed ministry maverick and church misfit, Jeff Lyle. Pretty much throughout the month of August and September, uh, the main thing that the Lord has had on my mind all during those two months and moving into October is that, um, you know, the spirit of fear is a heavy duty tactic of the enemy. You know, in my flesh, in my natural disposition, I really don't like talking about the enemy a whole lot. But the fact of the matter is, is that his activity is so elevated right now, and it will be probably from this point moving forward, um, that we can't we can't afford not to talk about the enemy, Satan, and the demonic realm. Uh, the other aspects of you know what opposes us as followers of Jesus is our flesh. I consider that an enemy. In my flesh, there dwells nothing good, and we're to crucify the flesh, and so therefore we treat it as an enemy. And then, of course, you got the world system which is deeply connected to the demonic realm and to Satan, who is the prince of the power of the air. And the hierarchy and the structure and the strategy of Satan is facilitated so much so uh, through the cultures that exist in various parts of the world. And America certainly not being immune from that. Um, There's so much obvious demonic activity in the aspects of the culture in America that we have to be aware of um, what the enemy is doing. And what I've witnessed over the past couple of years, primarily um, seeing it heightened through COVID, COVID-19, when it hit the planet, um, it caused a massive ripple and the various um, aspects of culture Government, education, media, entertainment, social media, um, you know, education, all of that stuff um, has been hit and people have uh, and systems have, have responded to COVID. And so there's a tightening of um, the atmosphere and the culture. It's thick with oppressiveness. It is thick with um, a forfeiture of freedom. It's thick with deception and miscommunication and confusion and misinformation. And so the enemy thrives in that kind of atmosphere. And so what I've seen is predominantly the result in just across the board in every spectrum of society is um, fear. It's the spirit of fear. It's not just simply concern. It is the spirit of dread and fear, doomsday, fatalism, and, and, and the mindset and the the toxicity in the atmosphere is that people are terrified. And I would love to say, but thank God we're Christians and none of that's touched the church. That is a joke. Uh, We've seen Christians give up these precious liberties of worshiping together and meeting together and uh, advancing the gospel and employing themselves in missions. And listen, the Christian faith is a community faith. And because of COVID restrictions, There's been a lot of uh, there's been a lot of complicity in in leaders and Christians um, shutting down um, the community aspect of the people of God, which has been um, terribly impacting in a negative way on uh, church folk. And so the spirit of fear has just been huge. I've even seen it manifest as depression, spirits of depression, um, a heaviness that is just pummeling people. And again, the church has not been immune. 
And so not too terribly long ago, I felt led of the Spirit to do a message on the prophet Elijah. And uh, Elijah was a mighty man of God, called down fire from heaven, personally executed around 850 satanic worshipers of the false god Baal, uh, stood in the face of a corrupt government, uh, pictured primarily by Jezebel and her you know, spineless husband Ahab. And so Elijah was a, just a powerhouse man of God. But immediately after these breakthroughs and victories, Jezebel puts a bounty out on Elijah's head and says, I'm going to kill you. You have destroyed my prophets. You have uh, insulted my reputation. And I'm going to kill you, and I'm putting a bounty on your head. So the same man of God, the same powerhouse believer that you know withstood 850 men could not handle one woman. He didn't know how to fight a woman. And she's an ungodly, demonized woman who brought all this false worship into the people of Israel's cultural and national life. And Elijah didn't know how to handle her, and she put out a threat on him, and uh, he went running for his life. And Elijah entered into a season of depression and fear, and his faith buckled. And so as I felt led to address that in a sermon uh, sometime back, not too terribly long ago, at the church at Winder, where I serve as pastor and the primary preacher, um, I also just started feeling today that I, I needed to do a podcast on this, because some of you... Obviously, you don't go to the church that I pastor, so you wouldn't have heard that message. You're not watching it on Transforming Truth or any of the media streams that we have. But I thought some of you only listen to the podcast. And so let me just give you a condensed um, view of this episode in Elijah's faith. And I'm not, I'm not going to preach. I don't, I don't really want to read a bunch of scripture today. I'm just going to talk to you as my friend and just kind of come at you as, as your brother rather than a formalized teaching. But all of this stuff is found in 1 Kings 19. If you are interested in reading it for yourself, you can read 1 Kings 19, the first 18 verses, and um, you can get the backdrop, the scriptural backdrop. But basically, Elijah has this emotional implosion. Elijah has um, the spirit of fear get on him and it gets in him. And it all happens when Jezebel sends this messenger to Elijah saying, Jezebel's put a hit out on you. She's invoked the name of her demonic gods. She said, if I don't kill Elijah, may my demonic gods kill me just like he killed, Elijah killed my prophets. And so she wasn't playing around. She's invoking a satanic curse down on Elijah and for whatever reason, maybe it's because he was wearied from the massive battle with the false prophets that he had just gone through. Maybe it was because he didn't have a fresh battle to fight. Maybe it was just because Jezebel's a witchy woman and she f just feverishly intimidated him. We don't, we don't really know why, but we do know that as soon as he heard that, the, the Bible says that he, he, he gets up, he arises and he runs for his life is the phrase that is in 1 Kings 19. He runs from his life. He took a servant with him, so he had a companion, but as the journey got further, he tells the servant, no, I want to be completely alone. So he isolates. So he's afraid, and now he's isolated. He's all by himself. He's out in the wilderness, and so he's not in a very welcoming environment. He's out there in the barrenness of the desert. So everywhere he looks, he's isolated. He's afraid on the inside. It's barren on the outside. And eventually, he says to the Lord as he sits down under this tree in the middle of the desert, he says, God, I'm done. He says, this, and this is enough. Lord, take, take away my life. I'm no better than my forefathers. 
So he's now he's filled not only with fear, but self-pity, defeatism, and he's suicidal. Now, he doesn't want to kill himself, but he does ask that God would kill him. I mean, he literally prays that. That's his prayer. Lord, I mean, it's incredible to me that the, the spirit of fear so motivated him unto isolation, separated from the people of God, running from his calling, disobeying the Lord. The Lord had not told him to go anywhere, but he's running in his flesh. He's running in fear, and he's now isolated. He doesn't want to be around people. And then, man, that's a recipe for disaster. And so he has this emotional implosion. He says, Lord, kill me. As his emotions were, you know, toxic, but they're, they're fueling his actions. And by the way, they're fueling his words too. I mean, he's, he's literally talking curses over himself. He's like, I need to die. And so what's interesting is God's not willing to let Elijah do that. And I love the fact, if you read 1 Kings 19, God doesn't really, you know, come down hard at all on Elijah. He's very compassionate, very sympathetic to his fearful, struggling, imploding, you know, prophet. He's not, he's not like a lot of us who would have given Elijah a lecture about how unreasonable Elijah's being. God's, God's knowing that Elijah's going through this emotional valley and being motivated by fear. And so the Lord actually sends an angel to him. And so this angel comes down and Elijah's sitting under that tree and the, the angel comes to him. And Elijah is like in the sleep. He, he falls into a deep sleep before the angel gets there. He's depressed. He's exhausted because he's run and run and run and run. He's physically exhausted. He hasn't eaten. He hasn't drinking. So he's physically wearied. He's emotionally torn. He's operating in fear and he's ready to die. He's just depressed. That's what it boils down to. And he's a believer, by the way. For all of you high rollers that think that, you know, oh, bless God, and if you've got the Lord, you never get depressed. Well, tell that to Elijah, because Elijah was a man of God who called down fire from heaven, and he had a season where he was very depressed. And it all started because he was listening to the things that were making him afraid. And so, the, so God sees him sleeping under this tree, depressed and wanting to die. So God doesn't, you know, doesn't grant his request. God doesn't kill him. God doesn't reject him. God doesn't abandon him. God sends an angel to him. The angel wakes up Elijah. And the angel actually baked him a cake. I mean, it's right there in your Bible. I don't, don't, don't ask me to explain all of this stuff. I'm just telling you, that's what the Bible says. So the angel, the minister of God unto the servant Elijah, bakes Elijah a cake. And it's probably just like a little bread, something tasty, something nourishing. And then he also brings him some water. So God sends a meal. I mean, the remedy for Elijah was take a nap and eat something. <laughs> you know, you need to eat. You need to, God ministered to his physical needs. And then the angel, Elijah eats it initially and then goes right back to sleep. So he needed a second touch. It didn't get corrected immediately. So Elijah falls back to sleep. The angel wakes him back up a little while later and says, hey, you need to finish this meal and drink the rest of this water. And so Elijah does that. And then from that supernaturally heaven sent moment from that meal that God prepared through the angel, Elijah gets back up and the Bible says from that one meal, he was able to travel for um, 40 days and 40 nights. And he goes to this Mount, to Mount Horeb, H-O-R-E-B, Mount Horeb. And he goes there and we're like, the way I see it playing out, I'm thinking, I can hear the chariots of fire music. Dun, 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 dun. You know, it's just something triumphant, something celebrational because Elijah, the man of God, is now back up on his feet. The angel has strengthened him. Here he comes. He's bouncing back. But that's not what happens at all. <laughs> Elijah is not bouncing back. He's running further and further away. <laughs> so he's not responding with an immediate breakthrough. So let's put away the fantasies and the fairy tales that we love to hold on to. Sometimes, man... Fear gets so gripping 
and depression can hit so hard that, um, you know, you get to the place where just one touch from God or even one encounter with an angel just doesn't do it because the fear was a deeper reality for Elijah than faith at that moment. Elijah knew God. I mean, Elijah wasn't, you know, a God hater. Elijah was just struggling, man. He's a strong man who was experiencing shaken faith. And so he goes up to the Mount of Horeb, and he doesn't stand on the mount like he did on Mount Carmel when he destroyed the prophets. He go, he finds a cave. And so, man, it's one thing to be out in the wilderness. It's another thing to leave the wilderness and find a dark cave. You can just see how the words picture he's getting worse and worse. He's not getting better. He's getting worse. And the Bible says that he lodged there. It just means he got comfortable there. He set up home there. He's like, this is my life. I'm a man on the run. I'm hiding. The whole world's after me. God didn't fix it. This is not good. Yeah, I had an encounter with an angel, but that's not enough because I'm just going to still run because I am in danger and I got to take care of myself and I can, I'm the only one I can trust. And you just, if you've ever been depressed before, um, you, you know how your thoughts get. And he was depressed and he was fearful. And I'm not saying that he didn't have some legitimate danger. Jezebel really was going to try to kill him. But what happened was he lost his faith. He lost his confidence in God. The same God that delivered him on Mount Carmel and gave him victory could easily give him the victory over Jezebel. But something got off track and he gave into the spirit of fear. By the way, just very quickly, I think that's what's happening to a lot of people in the body of Christ. They're given into a spirit of fear. They're more indoctrinated with, you know, the news outlets and the media streams and the fear mongering, you know, ridiculous reports of inconsistency from the government. And so they're laying down freedoms and they're saying government will take care of me. Well, don't be stupid. Government doesn't take care of us. I mean, they, they, they pledge to, but government takes care of government. Men and women in politics, for the most part, are getting rich off of fear and control. That's just the way it works. And sadly, the church is saying, well, we'll just listen to the government because they have best interest at heart. We'll listen to the science when it comes to COVID. And the science still doesn't agree. The science is different every other day. And so Christians are getting their cues from inferior sources instead of getting their cues from the Word of God and the Spirit of God. And Christians that are listening to the news outlets and the government and the education and the entertainment industry and listening to all the confusing cacophony of voices out there, well, those Christians are afraid. They're not operating in faith. They're operating in reactionary fear. And they're literally um, living in a cave. Well, maybe not literally. They're figuratively living in a cave, just like Elijah. And they're not living in faith. And so... God goes to the cave, and I love that about the Lord. He'll come to your cave. He'll meet you right where you are, but not to join you in the cave, not to sit down and help you feel continually sorry for yourself or me feeling sorry for myself. But he, he goes to the cave to bring us out of the cave, and he goes to Elijah, and he asks him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah, why are you in this cave? And Elijah's got like this prepared speech. He says, well, I've, I've been very jealous for you, Lord. I'm on your side. I've lived for you. I've been faithful for you. And I'm doing it, Lord, in a culture where Egypt, all of your people, they've, they've forsaken your covenant. They don't follow you. They've turned to Baal. Lord, they threw down your altars and got all the prophets that you sent to them. They're killing all of them. And now I got a head on my head. And I'm the only one left, Lord. I'm the only one being faithful to you. And they're seeking my life to take my life away. So you can hear the pity in his answer. He's saying, God, I've been faithful and you're not honoring that. 
Lord, I'm, 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 I'm the only Christian. I'm the only true believer left. I'm the only one who understands you and who gets you. And I've been faithful to you and I served you. I've been very jealous for your name. And you let Jezebel put a bounty out on my head. So there's a slight hint of accusation towards God, but there's a, a robust scent of Elijah feeling sorry for himself. So what does God do? God says, Elijah, go stand on the mountain. Get out of this cave for a minute. Get out of this cave and go stand on the mount. I want to show you something. And just to let you know, Elijah doesn't do it. God wants to show Elijah something. He says, Elijah, come out of the cave so I can show you something. Elijah does not leave the cave. And God says, well, I'm going to show you anyway. And so you can picture Elijah in the back of the cave looking out of the mouth of the cave. Elijah's in the dark, but he sees the mouth of the cave. And from the mouth of the cave, First uh, uh, Kings tells us that in chapter 19, it says that God sends this great and strong wind and it ripped the mountain and broken pieces, all the rocks. And then he sends an earthquake. So he's shaking the very place where Elijah's hiding. And then it says he sends fire. We don't know exactly what kind of fire. It could have been a you know, firestorm. It could have been lightning. We, I don't really know what it was, but it just says fire. So God is showing Elijah, Elijah, look how powerful I am. And, and, and Elijah, look at, listen to the wind and feel the shaking and, 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 and notice the fire. And, and then it says that the Lord wasn't actually in those things. Those were things coming from the Lord, but that really wasn't the Lord himself. And so Elijah's still stuck, stuck in the cave, and he's like, yeah, I see all this stuff. But he, did, he doesn't do anything until the next part that says, and then after the fire, there came this loud, uh, not loud, this came the sound of a low whisper. We, we learned that in the King James Version of the Bible. It was a still, small voice. So the Lord wasn't in the earthquake, he wasn't in the wind, he wasn't in the fire, but he was in the little whisper. What does that speak to us? Well, when your faith is shaken and you're operating in the spirit of fear and you're looking for some big event to bring you out of it, that's usually not the way it works. God can do that. But what, you, what we really need when we are hearing the spirit of fear is we need the gentle, reassuring whisper of God saying, hey, I, I love you. I'm for you. You're in a bad spot, but I'm not, I'm not giving up on you. I haven't abandoned you. I'm not here to shame you. But I am going to ask you again, what are you doing in this cave? See, that was the thing. Elijah had to hear it for the second time from God. After the fire and the gentle whisper and the earthquake and the wind, God comes back and he asks him the same question. He says, Elijah, what are you doing here? And Elijah gives the very same answer. I've been jealous for you and I'm, I'm faithful to you. And now they're trying to kill me. And all the people out there, are, God, they say they belong to you, but they're terrible. And I'm the only true follower left. So Elijah, I mean, nothing is shaking him. But God has his attention, at least. He comes out of the cave, by the way, after the gentle whisper. I, I, I failed to mention that. He didn't come out until he heard the voice of the Lord gently, low whisper to Elijah. God wooed him out of the darkness, but Elijah's still struggling with his mindset. And so, um, you know, the Lord has gotten his boy up and out of the darkness. And now I love what the Lord does. This is how I want to finish the podcast. Look at what God does. I mean, well, you can't look at it unless you've got your Bible open, but let me tell you what God does. God, God wants to help Elijah, but he doesn't look at, listen to me here. He doesn't pat Elijah on the head. He doesn't say, there, there. 
There, there, Elijah, it is bad. You do have a right to want to die. You, you, you are really, really in a state of being wronged by everybody. And Elijah, I know I've let you down, but will you give me a second chance? God doesn't say any of that stuff because none of that stuff is authentic. Elijah's in a bad place and God does have compassion on him, but God expects Elijah to get with it. Y'all hear me on some of this. We live in a culture today in the church where we're so focused on compassion, so focused on this misrepresentation of mercy that we actually enable people to live beneath the dignity of God's will for their lives. We, we, we're so concerned about coming off harsh or judgmental or, you know, a little rough around the edges. And we don't have any edges anymore in the church. It's like, this is, forgive me, this might sound offensive, but it's a bunch of snowflakes in the church. Bunch of snowflake pastors, bunch of snowflake leaders, bunch of snowflake, you know, teachers, and everything's about making everybody feel awesome about themselves. Well, we're not supposed to feel awesome about ourselves when we're living in a spirit of fear. We're not supposed to feel awesome about ourselves when we're living in a cave that God didn't send us to. We're not supposed to feel awesome about ourselves when we think we're the only true Christian and woe is me and pity, pity, pity on me. That's not the voice of God. So what does God do? God says, Elijah, get out of the cave. Come here. I'm going to give you a redirection. That's what God does. And so he gives him four things. First thing is God gives Elijah a new place to go to. He says, this is not the place for you. The Lord tells him, he says, go and return. Go back the way you came. He goes, but go back through the wilderness of Damascus and go back to Israel. He's saying, go back to the heartland. Go back to the place that you ran from. So God's saying, quit being controlled by fear. Get up. The cave is not your permanent address. I never sent you here. You're going to have to go back and pick up where you left off. That's what we call repentance. Repentance carries the idea of turning around. You're going one direction out of the will of God. Repentance says turn around and go back the way you came back into the will of God. And so that's what Elijah is told to do. So God gives him some place to be, but then he also gives him something to do. Elijah's the prophet, man. He's the national prophet. He ain't got a time to be sitting in a cave. He's the voice of the Lord to the nation of Israel. And so, and, and think about what he's showing. I mean, he's a representative of his God. And what is he, how is he representing God? By running away from danger and fear, by hiding, by playing it safe. I mean, what a terrible testimony for a child of God to say that what's going on in the world is bigger than my God. And that's what a lot of churches and a lot of Christians are doing right now. And, you know, disobeying the word of the Lord in order to, quote unquote, play it safe. Listen, friends, COVID and pestilences are not going away. They're not going away. There's always going to be something to be afraid of if you choose. And man, I don't want to live my life in fear, man. That is just like, what a nightmare. I would rather die than live in fear. And fortunately, those aren't your only two options. You can live in courage. You can be aware of what there is out there that's dangerous, but not become a slave to it because it's smaller than your God. COVID's smaller than God. You say, well, Jeff, why did I get it? Well, you got it because it's a natural disease and it is a, a reality in the world that we're living in. But if you're listening to this, you got COVID and you overcame. You're not dead. That's why you shouldn't be afraid of it. And by the way, there'll be more pestilences. Jesus prophesied at the end of the age that one of the characteristics was there would be multiple pestilences at the end of the age, multiple pandemics. It's going to happen. Jesus said it would happen. 
But Jesus, the, the same Bible that forewarned us about all the diseases and all the pestilences and all the pandemics that are coming at the end of the age is the same Bible that says that we are not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together and even all the more as the day of the Lord approaches. That's Bible. So you got all these people shutting down churches, you got all these people refusing to go to churches, you got all these, you know, folks abandoning community, abandoning serving one another, abandoning praying together, abandoning the body of Christ and becoming a digital Christian. And and the Bible says that at the end of the age we are to be more committed to gathering together. More committed, not less, more committed. That's Hebrews chapter 10 if you want to read it for yourself, verse 24 and 25, read it. All the more as you see the day approaching. So we say, yeah, but we've got, we've got disease and pestilence. I know God knew that Jesus, Jesus said it would happen. And he also said, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Stop living in fear. Stop retreating, advance the gospel. You know, when the stuff was going on in Kabul, when it first broke and a lot of these Christians are being martyred, I mean, straight up being killed. And some of them reports started coming out. We have second and third hand uh, information from contacts that were there in the ground, like literally covert ops people. And they were hearing from their, from the Christians, they were trying to get out of Kabul. They were getting reports saying, Hey, look, they're, they're shooting, you know, 800 yards away from our house. We know that they're coming to our neighborhood next and we're going to die. And so we're leaving our house and we're going to go door to door and we're going to tell people about Jesus instead of sitting here waiting to die, man, that is courage. I'm thinking, our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan, under the direct, not, not threat of death, the promise of death, and they're getting out and getting the gospel going forward under the threat, the penalty, the certainty of death. And by the way, a lot of them died. And they said, but why sit here until we die? Let's go out and let's knock on doors. And they literally went door to door sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ before they were martyred. Can I just leave a little room for conviction? And we can't even get Christians in America to go to church because they might get sick. Uh, it's just, it's a groan in my soul. So anyway, back to Elijah. God gives him something to do is what I was trying to get to. He says, go anoint Hazael to be the king over Syria. Prophets anointed kings in that day. So Elijah, you got work to do. Get out of this cave, go back home, anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. Anoint Jehu to be the king over Israel. We got kings waiting for the anointing to step into their roles. Elijah, you're the spokesman. You're the religious leader. You're the prophet. You're my guy. Get out of the cave. Go back and do what prophets do. And then I love this. The third thing. So it was someplace to be and something to do, but someone to help. The third thing was there's this little young guy plowing a field and his name is Elisha. Elijah is the prophet we're talking about. But then there's literally a blue collar farm dude. Not a prophet, not a priest, not in the school of the prophets. He's a farmer, and his name is Elisha. He's a young guy plowing daddy's field. And God says, I want you to go anoint him. He's going to be, the, he's going to be your successor. He's going to follow you up. So go anoint Elisha. Help him in his calling. Hallelujah, man. I'm 51 years old. A lot of you that are listening, you're young. You're in your 20s. You're in your 30s. And let me tell you, I refuse to hide in my last days. I refuse to retire gently into the night. I refuse to be muzzled by fear. I refuse to dilute my calling. I refuse for your sake 
to go lukewarm, status quo, convenient for me, easy pastorate, easy Christianity. I refuse to do that. Why? Because your generation needs somebody in my generation to pour into them and say, guys, stay out of the cave, quit living by fear, stop acting in a way that is beneath the dignity of the cost of Jesus Christ's sacrifice for your life. Get up and live your life and do something with it. I don't care if none of your friends are doing it. I don't care if you're the only woman, the only man in your peer group that has made up his or her mind that they're going to live for Jesus. Come out and be separate from the world. Stop that drinking. Stop that partying. Stop that carousing. Stop it. That's not who you are. And separate yourself from those Christians, pseudo-Christians that do all that stuff on a habitual basis and get real and get raw and get righteous and get into the presence of the Lord. You're an Elisha. You're an Elisha. Your time is coming and you've got to get ready. And listen, I'm, I'm functioning in this moment as Elijah, an older guy, saying that part of my calling is to motivate you to step into your calling and quit playing around and quit looking to your peers for them to set the ceiling on what you're going to do with your life. You set the ceiling. You get radical. You go after it. You don't let anybody, including your own flesh or fear, talk you out of what God's doing for your life. I prophesy you to you in the name of Jesus Christ that some of you that are listening right now, you're being stirred and called by the Holy Spirit, and he is breaking down every excuse, every obstacle, every reason why you won't be the person that you're called to be. In the name of Jesus, walk in faith, kill fear, kill it. You don't have to be obnoxious. You don't have to be strutting around, but you kill fear and you walk out your faith. That's what Elijah needed to do for Elisha. And God said, get out of the cave. You can't serve the next generation. You, Elijah's, can't serve Elisha's if you're stuck in a cave feeling sorry for yourself. And then finally, God says this to Elijah at the end of King, 1 Kings 19. It'll be the last thing I share. He says, oh, and by the way, Elijah, let me just let you know, you think you're the only one in Israel. I have 7,000 just like you in Israel who aren't compromised, who haven't quit, and who aren't living in a cave. So Elijah, get back to Israel, into the hub, the heartland, and do what you're supposed to do and recognize this. You ain't the only one. So no more self-pity. No more, no more feeling sorry about your situation. And no more running afraid from Jezebel because I'm going to take care of that Jezebel in your life. So what did Elijah do? Well, he obeyed. He got right. He went and did the things that the Lord told him to do. He spent pretty much the remaining years of his ministry pouring into Elisha. And eventually, when Elisha was ready to become the prophet, God took Elijah home. God was so good that when he gave Elijah to Elisha, he also gave Elisha to Elijah. Elijah got something he had never had before. You know what it was? He got a friend. Elisha was faithful, honoring, and served Elijah all the remaining days of Elijah's life. He wept when Elijah got taken up to heaven in the chariots of fire and the whirlwind. And then Elisha took the mantle of Elijah and carried on that legacy. Hallelujah, friends. We got work to do in the spirit of fear has no place in your life and mine. And I hope that the story of Elijah has blessed and encouraged you today. We'll talk to you next time on Mavericks and Misfits. God bless. Thank you for listening to today's Mavericks and Misfits podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe, rate, and review Mavericks and Misfits with Jeff Lyle on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. 
Your review helps us to reach more people and spread the unfiltered message of Jesus. And don't forget that you can connect with Jeff's social media links at maverickmisfit.com. We look forward to reconnecting with you on our next episode.